Hi, I'm Milton Davis, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey, everybody. It's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey, what's your favorite baseball team? Uh, the Yankees, America's <laughs> baseball team. Today we are talking, and this will this will probably generate controversy just between the two of us about Ben Affleck's best movie. Uh, in keeping in keeping with the theme, uh, we're actually talking about Paycheck. Uh, yeah, I won't Dad. argue that it's. Uh... I will argue that it's his best movie, but my opinion of Ben Affleck is really low. So, <laughs> right, right. Um, this is a this is a 2003 film. Stars Ben Affleck, uh, Paul Giamatti, Aaron Eckhart, and Uma Thurman. Uh, it's di- yes. directed by John Woo, which right there makes it the the best Ben Affleck movie ever. See. That's the funny thing is I don't particularly like John Woo. Um, really, I've seen a number of his movies and I really have not enjoyed any of the ones I've seen. Really? Yes. I mean, as far as American films, I mean, he did like I think it was Face Off, uh, yeah, Mission Impossible Two, couldn't stand it, um, Wind Talkers, Broken Arrow, Broken Arrow, Broken Arrow. Hard Target, Paycheck, yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't like any movies. Hard Target. Hard Target is uh, arguably Van Damme's best film. Okay, once again, you're you're not really selling this to me <laughs> because the when you say things like Ben Affleck's best film or Van Damme's best film, you really have a low bar, in my opinion. Well, yeah, it's because you not hate those guys. Opinion. Yeah, exactly. Okay. In that case, Paycheck is Paul Giamatti's best film. <laughs> that is completely untrue. <laughs> so, for those of you I unfamiliar, Paycheck. For those of you unfamiliar with uh, with the with this movie, it is it's a 2003 it's film directed by John Woo. Um, it is based on a 1953 short story by Philip K. Dick. There's our yes. there's our tie-in. We did uh, Scanner Darkly last week. Keanu Reeves' best film. Yep. Once again, setting the bar really low, but that was actually a good film. Yes. You know, Steve, other people that made that film. Steve hated this film. Just, I'll tell you right now, this is, this is one of my favorite films. I, I love the premise, even though it doesn't you know, is is not in a, a very faithful adaptation of the story. Is still one of my favorite films. Um, but yeah, this is one of uh, Steve's not favorite films. Uh, you know, it's a uh, it's not even one of my favorite Philip K. Dick stories, to be honest with you. Really? No. Um, I mean, it's an all right story, but I well. My complaints would be more appropriate after we give a little a short synopsis. Go for it. Of, uh, what's going on? So you get a guy who is an engineer in both the story and the movie, um, who is hired to do some work for a company, 
stipulation is that he has to lose all of his memory um, of the time he works for that company. That's and then he gets compensated an insane amount of money, right, to do the work. Uh, when he finishes his work and gets out, instead of getting this insane amount of money, he gets a packet of what looks like seemingly useless random objects. Um, and not the money. And he questions his own motivations and sanity, thinks he's been ripped off. But as soon as it happens, he's picked up by, um, in the in the story, it's the secret police of the, the new regime. And in the movie, it's just the police. The FBI. The FBI, who are uh, investigating the company he worked for. But he has no memory of the company he worked for. Right. Which... He uh, ends up escaping the clutches of his captors uh, by using the random objects that he had in his in his uh, little packet. So the movie is spent of uh, him using these objects to um, gain various bits of information, to escape various situations, or to get into um, various situations. And it's all a big mystery until you realize, or he realizes that what he was working on was a time machine. Mm-hmm. Um, something that... In, a in the time, book, a time viewer in the well, movie. And, and yeah, in the book, it's a time scoop. Right. So it, it, it basically lets you look into the future and then um, in, the, in the story, he was able to grab objects mm-hmm. to help From, him along the way. Right. And, and in the book, I, it, you got to assume... That um, he can do that as well, but they never explain in this movie how he actually gets these objects. Right, it's uh, very clear in in the in the short story. Um, as a matter of fact, at the end, a big claw comes out and grabs something and pulls it back in. It's a big whoa at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's kind of like, well, he just has these objects. Right, he pieces it together and. Right. So, so, so in the that's, film, that's in the film, he's, right? In, in the story, I don't know if he's a reverse engineer in the story. I don't remember. No, well, he's just an engineer. Okay, a mechanic, in, actually. Right. In in the film, he's um, Ben Affleck's character, the primary character of the story, is a reverse engineer, meaning he takes a piece yes, of technology, he, uh, pulls it apart, and both figures out how it works and makes it improves. Right. He steals technology professionally. Right. <laughs> in in the um, in the movie. Right. Which is which is pretty cool as as a as a you know movie protagonist goes. Yeah, I guess, but I and I, I figured that the memory wipes that in the movie are to prevent him from getting sued. Uh either sued or being able because what he's doing technically is illegal. Well, it's totally illegal. He um he is a patent violator, a habitual patent violator, mm-hmm. a mercenary habitual patent violator who does this on behalf of other companies. You know, yes. he's not he's he just gets paid for it. This ludicrous amount yeah, of money. Yeah, he's but, not. But you know, quote unquote, good guy. No, no, he's he's not. He's he's definitely not a good guy. He's you know. Following in that in that grand tradition of uh, unsympathetic characters, 
so he get in the movie he gets hired by uh, Eckhart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whole time I was I was watching this movie and he appeared on the screen, I just said to myself, I believe in Harvey Dead. Right, right. Which itself is kind of an interesting thing since Affleck is now playing Batman and Eckhart played Two Face, and they were at odds in this film as well. Right. So, but, uh, so like mean, a Batman film that could be. <laughs> yeah, if they had a time scoop. Right. Um, most of this film is is chase scenes, mm-hmm. and uh, quasi gunfights. Right. End up with uh, him pulling out a knickknack to save his ass at the end of it. Right. Um, right. It, Figuring it, it out the at first the last time, minute. Yeah, the first time it happened, it was kind of cool. The, the one when they were in the, uh, the train station and they went to the subway. Right. And he, he drops that was the envelope cool. and it's serendipitous that yeah. he just happens to look down and see the train ticket. But then he's right. like... Uh, shorts the subway out with the paper clip he finds and yeah it after after that it's kind of yeah we get the point right thing held them along and it just kind of got a little repetitive well that's why at the that's why the final bits of the the puzzle uh, that he put in there he used like three objects at the same time so yeah like, still kind of like still that's still that kind was of the like, part like a lot of filler. Right. But that was the part that I enjoyed about this film is how, you know, at some point in the future, the character devises this extremely complex plan. That, okay, I know exactly where I'm going to be at this point in time, this point in time and this point in time. And I'm going to I'm going to I'll need this to get away. I'll need this to get away. You know, I'm going to have a pack, send myself a pack of cigarettes. Because the FBI guy is going to have a nicotine fit at exactly this moment. Right. Uh, it seems like a lot of this grand plan is uh, relies too much on chance. <laughs> it, a lot of it does. Happen. And, and, and it doesn't make as much sense in this movie as it does in the story. Because in the story, he actually grabs stuff that he needs physically from the world. So he knows right. what the events are going to be because they happen and he sees them happening. So he grabs the, the, uh, fidget spinner. Right. Um, and, well, it's, and it's a fidget spinner that's being used, you know, in the present of the story. And that's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of, you know, if you think about it for more than a minute, it's really lame as a time travel premise, um, just paradox wise. Well, yeah, right. because he's he watches one version of events unfold, concocts the plan, and that creates the paradox because then he survives that situation because he's created the plan. Right. His past self um, is or his future self uh, survives yeah. because the plan he creates in the past. Right. Exactly. And I, I, in the in the book not so much as it's a plan mm-hmm. that happens, but he sees what happens and is able to um, get get all of his ducks in a row so that happens. Um, in the movie, it's more like he is a smart guy. It's not like he's he's head or anything. Um, but in the movie, it's more like he created this plan to happen. And so, so you have 
in the book, it's more of a uh, of a uh, future written in stone mm-hmm. philosophy, where um, the future is going to happen no matter what happens, and he, this facilitates it. Right. Whereas and in the movie, it's the the fluidity of the future that right, you know, and and he's creating his own future by looking at it. Mm-hmm. But when he's doing and, and so, attempting the probabilities, to right? You know, just the probabilities of everything happening the way they're supposed to happen, because uh, it is a complex plan. There's a lot of things that happen in this two-hour movie, right? Um, well, it, it's it, it's hard to suspend your disbelief after a certain point because you're like, oh yeah, okay, well there's the there's this object that's going to do it. But that was totally dependent on the last one working and blah, 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 all the way back to the one. It just seems like every event gets more and more improbable, even if you're if you're preparing for it. Well, it's, it's like this. The one event that he actually changes in the film, right, I mean, is that he was supposed to have died when they were trying to extra- when the FBI was trying to extract the memory. Right. That was the event that he changed by putting the, um, you know, night vision glasses and uh, cigarettes, cigarettes into the package because they flash back. And it's like, you know, the security guy knew that it was the exact time he was going to die. Aaron Eckhart's character said at this point in time, he died, but he's not dead. Right. So that's where they figure out that he's actually change that one moment and the rest of it is probably carved in stone because he had to die then for the rest of that future to take place that he saw. Yeah. I guess you can argue that. Um, I just think if it's a malleable future, it's completely malleable. I don't think it's like a, a set future that is changed into a different set future. I think any event that you screw with is going to screw everything up. You know, it's the theory of the multiverse of, of oh, the, uh, choices the butterfly effect. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you would put it like this, you know, the butterfly effect. You know, you go back in time and you kill a butterfly in the in the prehistoric era. Um, and it changes the entire outcome of the future. It's I, I really, right. But I really don't think that it's that precise. Um, you know, the only reason that it changed the future for uh, Michael Jennings, the character that Ben Affleck's plays, um, is that Jennings is the only person who could stop that future from occurring because everybody else involved in that project was either on board with the future that he saw or dead. Right. What what I'm saying is he he prevents his original the original future from happening by having a pack of cigarettes and um, sunglasses. Right. And he he realizes that this guard is going to have a nick fit. Well, you're a smoker. You pretty much carry your own cigarettes wherever the fuck you go. And if you're an FBI agent, I think you're going to have cigarettes at any given point. You're the, not going to have to steal them from your suspect. The interesting I'm thing is, is that there is a there is a gaff in that section of the film because that character, when he begins interrogating Jennings, is holding an unlit cigarette. Yeah, so in his hand. It's and it's and that, poss- that, 
and yeah, that, that gap, that gap is possibly you know a little subtle nod that the future had changed at that point because he went from holding a cigarette in his hand to I don't have my cigarettes on me. I left them in the desk or whatever. You know, they, he wasn't wearing a jacket, so he might have left them wherever his jacket is. So, you know, and 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 Wu did a couple other little nods in there. He had the the close up on the crystal ball. Um, you know, Jennings was looking at the old palmistry uh, porcelain right. piece in his house. You know, kind those of aren't really gaps. Those, those are aren't gaps. Like, those are illusions. Those, those are. Yeah, there are allusions to to the type of thing that's going to happen. It's a nod and a wink, and it gets you mentally prepared right. for for what's so, going on. It's not like blinking, you miss it. Oh, he had a cigarette. Oh no, he didn't. That is that a, like an officially registered gaff, or is that like purposefully plotted right. part of the the script? Exactly. You could look on IMDb, and they fucking tell you, um, right. But then way, again, I, unless unless the the writer or or John Woo or any of the cast members you know confirm it, it's just a guy sitting there watching the movie going, "Oh, he had a cigarette at like twenty three minutes to fourteen seconds, and then he's jonesing for one and doesn't have them." Right. You know, some crazy so, neck just pointing out errors when it could yeah. have been just written that way. Well, you think like a smart guy like Jennings would um, have his knickknacks and objects be dependent on his own actions and not on the actions and behavior of other people. Because uh, people are semi somewhat unpredictable. But I, I realize it's a movie and you got right. you got to. Well, he's got He's kind of defend depending on the future being etched in stone. Kind of because really, if you think about it, up until a certain point, you know, because because he also sabotages the machine, so they can't watch him and go back and alter that. Right. Nope, that's true. But uh, I, it's time travel. For, I'm not as big of a fan of time travel mm-hmm. stories as as you are. Um, I think. You know, it takes a lot of mental gymnastics to uh, to be able to believe them, mm. especially when it, when time paradox is involved. But once again, it's like it's you know, it's not hard sci-fi. It's you know, this is the premise. And if you don't think too long about it, it's cool. But if you start to think about it, it breaks down. That that's a weakness in in both the movie and the the story. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it was written in nineteen fifty what two? Fifty three, I believe, was when it was published. No, no, yeah, nineteen fifty two, fifty three. So I I don't think there's had been there's hadn't been the rich tradition of time travel stories uh, that that we have these days. Three quarters of which are probably written by Philip K. Dick anyway. Right. So, yeah, this was this was in the days where, you know, time travel was I think the one of the biggest time travel stories was still Wells is the time machine. Right. Um, You know, and there were other I think other little characters, writers did time travel stories, but it wasn't a huge time travel was not I don't think it was as big a thing then as it is now. 
you know, 50 right. years after, 50 years of Doctor Who, uh, you know, three Back to the Future movies, Bill and Ted, <laughs> that sort of thing. Right. Legends of Tomorrow. Flashpoint. 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 So, so we'll, we'll, we'll set aside the, the premise because um, the, the, the actual premise of it is re- reading the, um, an introduction to the story by Dick. Um, he thought it would be kind of cool to have these like useless objects help somebody out in, in uh, getting something accomplished, like something life and death accomplished. Mm-hmm. That I thought was a cool premise. Um, the mechanics of it are a little clunky to me, right? But and uh, but I still that, think that premise know. was well worked in both. I mean, yeah, if you overthink it, it's clunky, but still, it's an interesting premise because it's not, you know, a physical person traveling back in time, you know, like say Looper or something like that, and and affecting no, no. their own past. No, it's 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 cooler. It's a little bit more sophisticated than that, I think, mm-hmm. um, as a premise. And you know, maybe a, a later day Philip K. Dick um, could have handled it better than the earlier Philip K. Dick that actually wrote it, right? Um, because he's definitely he his his prose definitely got more sophisticated as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that the the interesting things about the story are how Phil K. Dick predicted um, the political situation of today. Well, I think we mentioned now, that a couple of times in uh, in the uh, Scanner Darkly yeah, discussion. So, is that with facial recognition and all that stuff? Well, in the in the story, um, when when he wakes up, he's told. Um, that the government fell and there's a new government and they're basically fascist. Right. So there's sneaker police. Um, they're all over the place. And uh, the, there, there's a, individuals have absolutely no rights and corporations have rights. Mm-hmm. And the premise is he, he wants to, he, he, he does all this to get himself back into the corporation he was working for because that's the only protection he would have. Right. Right. So, so, so in, in that, in that respect, you know, the, the Jennings character is really kind of looking after his own interests uh, to, in protecting himself. And uh, in the film, they make him out as having a more uh, altruistic goal well, but also, he, but he yeah, but also, war and destruction, right? And he blames himself, know, right? Because he's he he's the one who built the machine to begin with, right? Because he took a he took a technology and then he improved upon it, right? Um, but I mean, if you look at to the way things are going today, um, we do have a. a government that's becoming more and more um totalitarian yes Uh, and and we do have a situation where we have corporate um citizenship almost Mm -hmm. um and in 1953 who would have thunk it right 
Right. That was that's that was dystopia in 1953. Yeah. Now it's reality. <laughs> now it's now it's reality. We're not quite. We're not quite at the extreme that Dick has it in his story. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I could definitely see it going there, where corporations um, will be the last bastion. I guess citizenship but the one thing he did get wrong is he has the corporations and the government opposing each other mm-hmm. um where in, in the reality of it is they're in bed with each other right right and so like, I, don't, I don't know which is a worse situation mm-hmm. i guess there's a little bit of hope in his original um story because he can go to the corporation to sh- shelter himself and, right. and the corporation is, pr- is preparing for a revolution. Mm-hmm. It's not quite like that here. No. And now not 2017. Quite. It would be interesting to see Dick's response to things. If he were still alive. Yeah. I mean, the guy, he like, you know, Socially, the guy is, you know, very, I won't say spot on, but he definitely knew which way the wind was blowing and, and was very good at, at observing that mm-hmm. and writing it down. Right. He just got some of the dates wrong. Yeah. <laughs> some of the dates and some of the, the dynamics. I guess he just didn't realize that, um, you know, the government was for sale as badly as it was. And I don't think it was as much back then. No, no, um, no. His fascist, his fascist government had to arise out of a, out of a, uh, you know, a, a revolution in and of itself, as opposed to evolving that way, right? Which is right. What? How ours is going? Yeah. Nonviolent revolution. Right. Well, and and it's completely it's fueled by corporations, mm-hmm. people who are who mistake. Uh, corporate rights and think that corp- corporations deserve to have the same rights as, as actual human beings. Mm-hmm. But that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, now, one of the great interesting things about the film is they did that whole five minutes into the future setting again. Yeah, you're where- a sucker for that, aren't you? I, I love it because well one it's it's cheap, <laughs> you know as it's like the guy the guy pulls up in a cab you know that's a Honda Element from two thousand three and all they did was just kind of like tweak the engine noise a little bit to make it sound a little more futuristic but everything else was like circa two thousand three except for the technology to wipe your memory and right. things like that so it's like. I- familiar and 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 futuristic at the same time yeah there wasn't a a, of like futuristic nods and whistles in this like like there are in other adaptations of this like um like in uh what's the the minority report right yeah you know where, where they like had the fucking car elevators going up the pyramid and all sorts of shit yeah, because because that took place in like a mega city version of Washington D.C. 
Yeah, or or even like Total Recall, where you have like you know a uh, the, the the head bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Schwarzenegger Total Recall. The um, yeah, yeah, the good one. The, the the Colin. Well, you haven't seen the second one, so and, and uh, the, but that one, but that one too. Is lays lays a little bit off of the whole, you know, wild fantastic future and makes it a little more, more of a grounded future. Yeah, I, I, you know, even though the Schwarzenegger movie um, totally deviates from the source material, where you probably shouldn't call it the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think as a movie, it's a it's a fun movie. It's got just the right mix of action and. Um, espionage and betrayal and mind fuck and and the the bells and whistles of of seeing cool stuff right that that you don't have in in something like this where i i almost would have liked to have like cool stuff to distract me um i don't think that the actors are I don't the the just the casting. I don't think it was strong enough. Um, I I don't like Ben Affleck. I don't think he can act very well, and I mm-hmm. I, I don't. I think the same about Uma Thurman. <laughs> yeah, um, Uma Uma was Uma was a little flat. Yeah, um, and what's what's was... with Uma Thurman and plant themed characters? Um, I I don't know. You get this this character, and then in uh, Percy Jackson, she was in a she was a Medusa in a um, nursery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know what's the deal with that is because in uh, Kill Bill, she has nothing to do with plants at all. No, which, which is uh, think- actually a film that I like with her in it. Mm-hmm. She she was she was good for that because honestly, there wasn't a shit ton of acting in that. Right. And and David Carradine wasn't a bad guy, I, you know, was did a villain turn. Yeah, yeah. Well, as brief as it was, you know. Right. Well, I mean, that, that you film. know, sometimes, sometimes you you keep those appearances of non. Well, yeah, very brief, and they do very well. It was like Christopher Lee in Circle of Iron. Yeah, his role was really short, but he did a good job. So. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so the acting in this film was kind of, uh, and and watching Ben Affleck as a action hero is really grating. Even though they tried to establish him as an action hero with the stick right. early on, yeah, give him a. And I think that I, I think a lot of that stuff was you know we don't want to make we don't want to make this guy who's an engineer. A stone killer. So we have to give him right. some way to fight these guys. That's not like all Chuck Norris roundhouse punches, but not yeah, also but make him super he, lethal. He doesn't really use his uh, his training very much. I think in one scene he, he does that. He uses he uses a staff yeah. toward the end. Um, he uses yeah. a couple of a couple of little like tricks and things, you know, throws and stuff like that. But most of the time, it's like he's trying to run away, and he just uses like momentum punches to to knock right. people over. And, it, and it's, yeah, just to understand, you want to have the the focus be on the the trinkets, right? Because that that's the name of the game. 
Now, uh, aside, my father really enjoys this film. Right. So. Well, I agree with your father. I, it's one of my favorites. Now, I will say, I will say that sure, you know, this would also be a good, would have been a good role for like Harrison Ford, but it had too much of a fugitive vibe anyway. So you know. Yeah, I could see a uh, a more established leading man, not, not action hero leading man, but like a a, a physical leading man, like a like Harrison Ford. Right. Well, we there. also have to put into the to into account that this was Ben Affleck's first action film. Um, you know, before that he was doing like rom coms and, and Kevin Smith movies and, and things like that. But this was also, you know, right around the same time when uh uh his buddy Matt Damon did uh Born Identity. Yeah, let's see now. Matt Damon would have been a more believable character. Probably cost too much money. Oh, no, Matt Matt Damon. Matt Damon like was great in the first Born Identity. I'm saying that film. this would be a this would have been a, a better movie if Matt Damon was in it. Right, right. And, and you know, I'll give you I'm that. Not, I'm, I'm not there. saying that. I'm not saying that uh, Ben Affleck ruined the film. I'm just saying that there would have been better choices, or or casting. possibly possibly even um, an older Ben Affleck. You know, with with a few more you know serious roles under his belt, possibly. Instead or of, you could have gone, you could have gone full out and had like a, a Hong Kong action hero as right. the as Chow the Yun, um, Chow Yun Fat would have been Fat excellent. Been great. Movie. Chow Yun Fat would have been Jackie Chan could have been not mm. enough like uh, stunt work for Jackie Chan, but yeah. it would have been cool. Yeah, I, mean, I would have went with, like a, a, with Chow Yun Fat, maybe Jet Li. Uh, you know, both of those guys were huge at that part point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that might have been an issue of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, John Woo. Uh, it might have been an issue of John Woo going. I don't want to work with those fuckers. Well, it, it's all. It's also know. an issue of contracts because I believe after yeah. after Crouching Tiger, uh, Chow Yun Fat ended up going back to Hong Kong, and then probably okay. and did like several other films. Uh, I believe after what was I think the the one was the big Jet Li film. Um, I think he ended up right, having yeah. to go back to Hong Kong to do to finish up some contracts or something. So maybe these actors just were under a contract and not available, available. to work with. Wu. No, that's definitely true. That's true. You could even have had like Denzel could have done it. Denzel could have done um, it. Was he? he he was in a bunch of movies around that time that were doing really well, mm-hmm. and it was that kind of role. Uh, I believe uh, Man on Fire was around this time, which was yeah, what about um, what's the one the the semi horror one with the touching? Uh, oh, uh, the Rolling Stones song. No, that was uh, Fallen. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Rolling Stones song is one of the plot devices. Right. Time's on my side. That's. Let yeah, me so, tell you I about mean, the time I almost died. See now, you could have even had Matthew McConaughey uh, could have been in it. Uh, there's there's your uh, connection, guys. Those of you shit. who were trying to guess what movie we were going to talk about kept bringing up Dazed and Confused. That was Matthew McConaughey's first role, and well, the origination um, of All Right, All Right, All Right. That's right. Um, he was up and coming. Um, what, what's his name? Uh, 
shit, Kevin Bacon was hot at the time. You could have had some Kevin Bacon mm-hmm. action in there. Could have done. Um, had the transporter come out a couple years early, you would have had. You could have had Jason Statham. Yeah, so I, I'm just wondering why, why Ben Affleck? Why? Because he was available. Yeah. None of these, it, all these guys that, that we were talking ben about Affleck imitation. Right. Remember in the movie where he's like, you, you ask, you have to ask yourself why. Yeah, I, whatever. It's a Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> we weren't going to talk about Kevin Smith films, but. Yeah, I mean that was I think that was the big part of it right there is that you know this movie was getting made um you know and it's it's a Philip K Dick adaptation it's it's a John Woo action film but it just seemed like no one else was available shame. at that time and it's a shame because I mean this film you know say what you will about John Woo I love the way he directs yeah, I'm not a big John Woo fan. I, I you know, that I'm just talking about his American films. I don't right. like a one of them, <laughs> not a one of them. So it's just it's not my cup of tea. Um, I would much rather see the killer action, 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 world. action. Yeah, something. It's. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if it was because any of this was his fault. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was like a fish out of water because it, there it's definitely two different genres that you're dealing with um, with his American films and his Hong Kong films. They're not really like each other. They're they're not really well. Some of them are and some of them aren't. He's trying he's trying to adapt his style to an American action film, and you know you kind of get that in Hard Target. I think it's the most similar to his to his style. I think um, Mission Impossible Two had a lot of moments that were very similar to his other work, but this film they didn't get to do a lot. But he was able to get in some of his signature shots. Yeah, maybe it was just because they just get shitty actors in his American films. Well, yeah. Let's see: Nicolas Cage, John Travolta. Nicholas Nicholas Cage twice actually, although Wind Talkers was kind of like a just straight directed movie. It wasn't, you know, the right. signature. It was his big Hollywood movie, so it's like right. okay, take all the take all the stuff that makes you John Woo, and put that aside for right now. We're just making a big, huge budget Hollywood Hollywood film. production. It's you. Yeah, so I think it might be my prejudice there might be because I hate every fucking actor, every leading actor he's ever worked with. In the United <laughs> States, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I can see what you're saying, that this would have been a much better film with uh, an, an actor, higher higher quality actor for the time. Because, yeah, again, Ben Affleck's coming off of comedies you know and it's it's hard to take it seriously when as an action film to to have a guy who's been doing mostly comedies dramas and that sort of thing right and then put him in an action role a lot of people didn't think matt damon was going to do it when he was cast as born yeah that's but that was you know it's a good film though right 
but uh yeah still it's it's one of my favorites because because of john woo because because the philip k dick connection because it has kind of that caper type of thing with the the elaborate plan involving all the innocuous objects and it has it's it's a chase film first first well, and foremost it's a chase film it is a chase film uh, the real reason i hate it is uh the three good guy actors mm-hmm. affleck giamatti thurman are all from this area Shimadi's from New Haven. Affleck's famously from Boston. Uma Thurman is from Massachusetts as well. And that whole fucking Red Sox thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, should go to our Facebook page, argue the point whether or not Paycheck is a decent film or not. Uh, yeah. Facebook.com slash Microphones of Madness. Team um, Rodney, Team Steve. Team Rodney or Team Steve. Remember, Rodney loves it. Steve hates it. So there you go. Take my word for it or take Steve's word for it. You can, you can, you must, you either must watch Paycheck or you can pass on Paycheck. But definitely read the story. Yeah. And until next time, say goodnight, Gracie.